us, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we're live. Welcome back to the Loopcast. I'm joined as always by my co-hosts, Josh and Erica. And start up up top. It was a crazy weekend. I think we all experienced the news on Friday. Many of you coming to the show probably are looking for us to talk about it. Don't worry, we are. This week, we're going to be talking about a trans takeover at St. Patrick's St. Patrick's Cathedral. Uh, we're going to dig into the mailbag a little bit with preparing financially for big families and the whole 401k debate. And then we're going to talk, uh, there's a dead dissident in Russia, rest in peace, Alexei Nalveni. Uh, but as always, I'm going to start up top. If you'd like to help us out, subscribe to the show on YouTube. You can just hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, share us uh, if you want. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you can get your podcasts. So follow us there, leave us reviews. All those things really help us out. But we're going to get rolling here. I mean, the first place I encountered this news, I think it was Friday. I was I was looking forward to going into my weekend and I was shocked. Uh, shout out to Mary Margaret Allahan for breaking the story. But I was seeing uh, just unthinkable things uh, being done during a funeral uh, in a America's Cathedral, as it's kind of called, St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. Uh, if we want to get into it here, what 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 was going down, Erica and St. Patrick's? Yeah, so um, I was also shocked and just I, I spent most of the weekend fuming because um, there was a funeral service held for an atheist LGBTQ plus three spirit activist. Her name, his name, really, it was a man who wore his. woman's face. Yeah. His Yep. He, he called himself Cecilia Gentili and um, turns out he had received multiple or multiple adding up to multi-million dollar grants from the Biden administration. We'll dig into that unfolding story a little bit, but he died um, again. May his soul rest in peace with our Lord uh, and his funeral. The planners decided, oh, this is a great opportunity to take over one of the icons of the American Catholic Church and host a celebration of life. I wouldn't even call it a funeral service. They had mass cards and a picture up at the altar showing uh, Mr. Gentile with a halo in full drag, um, surrounded by Spanish words for transvestite, whore, blessed mother. During the service, they called him a saint. And uh, all of uh, all, it was shocking. Like, we see a lot of shocking stuff in our line of work, and, and this was particularly gut-wrenching uh, to, to watch the footage from this. I don't know if we have any of the, the actual footage, but you well, had- shocking precisely because it's from inside our own church, From right? inside- right. Our microphones. Right. Our own microphones, our own. I don't even know if this was our video streaming. The whole thing was live streamed. And you can see there the footage. There's over a thousand attendees, many of them in full drag. Um, and throughout the service, the the hymns were interrupted by shouting calls for, quote, gender affirming care, hateful comments against the Catholic Church. It was it was a full hour, almost an hour and a half of this uh, going on inside the cathedral. And Yes, I, I, I am speechless when it comes to this. For me, one of the, one of the most heart wrenching moments. Again, an attack on our Blessed Mother directly during the the cantor got up and he starts singing the Ave Maria classic funeral hymn. He starts singing the Ave Maria, and a, a man dressed as in woman face gets up and starts singing Ave Cecilia. They changed the word to Cecilia. And called her Saint Cecilia, you whore, you whore of whores in the speech that you see there. And he, the man singing the Cecilia chant in the place of Ave Maria starts dancing up and down the aisles. And um, I, I know that this was an attack and that, you know, the story right now is that they deliberately deceived the coordinators at the cathedral. But you see right there, there's a man in a cassock, there's the cantor, and they just keep going. Like they played out the whole service and I'm watching this thinking, why aren't they, why are they still going? Why didn't they stop? Why didn't they kneel down and prostrate themselves in front of the tabernacle? It was. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Shocking. I mean, I got to say. To answer you know, Adamo. I would have yes. tackled somebody. I would have you tackled show, somebody, grab the microphone. Right. So show this is a good excuse. If you guys are listening on the podcast format, it's a yeah. good excuse for you to pop over to YouTube, check it out. But yeah, you got to um, see this. Yes. There was a priest that, I mean, Nighthawk, do you have the comment, the initial comment uh, of him From talking Ghana. about like, this is the most turned out I've seen this place since Easter 
Yeah. That one especially was, and then they all cheered for like a minute, minute and a half. And it was like, someone had to remind the priest, hey, this is a service. Like, it, yes, this was all done like by a Like a thousand activists hijacking a service and you're mm-hmm. you're happy that the, there's a large in t- attendance. Like, dude, get right. over it. Right, that was the priest's like, comment. So God. yeah, Adamo, there was a priest present and he presided over the whole thing. And um, yeah, the comment he made as the gentleman we're just alluding to was, gosh, it's so full in here. There's so many people. And sure enough, the statement from the activists after he is right there. Yeah, there is. After the service, this the activists pick right up on that. They're like, we filled that cathedral better than the Catholics can fill their own pews. You heard him. He said the yep. church is never this full. Well, I, I, we I with quote, our quote from one of the fours. from one of the men dressed up as a woman, St. Patrick's is so stupid, y'all. They don't know she was trans. Yeah. So to, to get back to this the beginning of the story, though, St. Patrick's side of the story is that they said they were deceived. Someone uh, wrote in and requested a funeral service for a Catholic. They did zero research, apparently. I mean, it seemed like they didn't Google at all uh, what was going on. Um, and so all of these people start filing in. They said they're they're confused. They didn't know it was coming. Obviously, nothing done to stop once the train was rolling here. Um, I mean, I mean the, only, the only the tiniest so. little thing I would say is, thankfully, there was someone who informed the priest, this will not be a mass that would have been a higher order of, you know, blasphemy if it had been an actual mass. Uh, it was still, I'm not saying that to excuse it. It's horrible. And, you know, it should not have been at all. But at least it was not a mass. At, at the tiniest little thing, I would say. Uh, I don't even call it a victory per se, but at least it wasn't a mass. And there was someone there saying, nope, it's not a mass. It's just a service. But again. Wait, wait a second. Wait a second. And I <laughs> shout, shout out Rob. Uh, when Father James Martin criticizes your LGBTQ activity, you know you've gone too far. Uh, first off, no Rob personally. What's up, Rob? Thank you for joining. Well, here. but we he has have... a point. He has a point, but go go ahead, Tom. Well, we have the the tweet thread of Father James Martin. If if Nighthawk wants to pull it up here, um, it's hard to apologize for something that you were invited to. Uh, Father James Martin was invited to speak at this. The only reason he wasn't able to uh, give this eulogy was because he was out of town. I think was his excuse. Um, it was the most non-apology of apologies I've ever seen. It's, it's very much in line with what we come to have understand that Father James Martin does. The kind of slither in and out, make it seem like, you know, oh, we didn't mean it, and then like, but at the same time, happy that it happened. Um, yeah, it was a very non-apology. If it, when people said, oh, he apologized, that is really not, uh, I would say, completely accurate to say it was an apology. But go ahead, Josh. Yeah, Sorry for you, interrupting. Yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I mean, my <laughs> point was. Father James, okay, so St. Patrick's Cathedral is saying we had no idea that it was going to end up like this. We just thought it was going to be a funeral for somebody who was a Catholic. Turns out the person not only was not Catholic, it was an atheist and obviously a trans activist and all that. And it was going to become this opportunity to like rub it in our faces or whatever. Let's assume that St. Patrick's Cathedral is, is, is telling the truth, which is a, a plausible. Catholics need to understand it. it's a plausible thing that this could have unfolded like that. Father James Martin, though, did know because he was invited. And if he was invited to this, why didn't the alarm bells go off? Why didn't Father James Martin say, wait a minute now, I'm, I might co- I might go to some sort of a service for an atheist trans activist to try to proclaim the mercy of God or something like that to the audience. But this is a group of trans activists that want to have a so-called fu- funeral service for an atheist trans person in St. Patrick's Cathedral. And he would have to know that what would happen. Why didn't he tip off the right. Archdiocese of New York? I don't understand why. So a lot of Catholics are pissed, are, are very upset at St. Patrick's Cathedral. And I'm like, I think you need to focus here first on James, Father James Martin. Here's a man who had prior knowledge of what was going on and felt no need to tip off the Archdiocese of New York about what was going on. And Father James Martin is a priest, even though he's a Jesuit, he is in New York. So it's not like he's, oh, what should I do about this? No, he should have called. Well, Josh, he was quoted in the New York Times article about this. Right. So it's not like, like you right. can't get more prior knowledge than that. <laughs> um, yeah. So the comments I gave to the New York Times about the memorial service for Cecilia Gentili were given before the service. Exactly. So he knew this was going on. And assuming that St. Patrick's Cathedral had approved the service, which seemed like a com- compassionate gesture towards the deceased family and friends. That's that's the first part of this threat. 
Right. And like the classic words one would expect in an apology, quote unquote, would be words like, I'm sorry, this was the work of the devil or like condemnation. But there's none of that here again. And I think, too, like a, a priest is bound. He knew the name of the person who was going to be, uh, you know, recommended. And even if he had thought, well, oh, the cathedral okayed it, so it must be all right now. He's not He's not an uneducated man. I mean, he should have told the archdiocese, look, the cathedral just approved a non-Catholic's funeral at America and it's going to be drag. Like, it, again, like just Josh was saying, there's there's no excuse for for how this went down at all. And uh, yeah, will there be repercussions? Right. Can, well, we get the, can we get the statement from the cathedral here now pulled up? Because I think yeah. that's worth going over as well. Yes, they have responded. Um, and we can talk about how well that, <laughs> how good of a response it was. I, I was a little disappointed personally. Um, yeah, Nighthawk's pulling it up right now. So uh, I'm going to read it for the audio listeners. So this is from Enrique Salvo, the pastor of St. Patrick's Cathedral. Thanks thanks to so many who have let us know they share our outrage over the scandalous behavior at a funeral here at St. Patrick's Cathedral earlier this week. The cathedral only knew the family and friends were requesting a funeral for a Catholic and had no idea our welcome idea our welcome and prayer would be degraded in such a sacrilegious and deceptive way. That such a scandal occurred at quote America's Parish Church makes it worse that it took place as Lent was beginning. The annual 40-day struggle with the forces of sin and darkness is a potent reminder of how much we need the prayer, reparation, repentance, grace, and mercy to which this holy season invites us. Uh, at the Cardinal's directive, we have offered an appropriate mass reparation. Now, interestingly enough, um, Father Joe Krupp, who's a priest I really like, he's out of Michigan, and uh, he's on Twitter pretty actively. And, you know, he just made a point. I think it was, I think it was a fair kind of pushback a little bit uh, among some of the people who are – there's a lot of Catholics who saw what happened over the weekend were super upset about it, and rightfully so. Rightfully it's so. Just, it's just that Father Krupp said – you know, the comments that people got that as they dashed off on social media, which social media can be just sort of like not maybe the the best responses that you get from people. And he just says, when you read the replies, you're seeing a, a factor in the shortage. You're seeing a factor in why we have this shortage of clergy or the exhaustion of those who are clergy. Um, he said the righteous can be very cruel. And he goes, people's comments like, why did the mass Why have the mass reparation so quickly? Why wasn't the mass reparation public? Uh, why didn't the priest stop the mass? Why didn't they investigate before agreeing to do funerals? Why didn't the priest stop this? And then all this other stuff. And it's like, you know, I get that you're outraged and upset and that's appropriate. It's appropriate to be outraged and upset about it. But he goes, we just got to make sure that we're just not all rage all the time. And that we have to make sure that our righteous anger, like Jesus is channeled properly and we're not just attacking everybody. And okay, can I give you a rebuttal? Holy priest. No, go can ahead. I, keep, I mean, just can I give you a rebuttal. I think people are upset because we've seen weak leadership from our bishops for how many years now? There's been so many times stuff like this has happened and nothing's been done. So it's not like this well, anger is just like, oh, it's random anger on Twitter from people who want things done properly. It's like the, even that apology refused to call out exactly who this is. These are LGBTQ activists. These aren't just a random cropping of people who hate the church just happen to show up and deceive some church. It's like these people that are saying, Oh, you just need to let us live. We just want to love who we want to love, whatever. It's like, no, we we demand your churches now. We're going to mm -hmm. uh, deceive people and actually desecrate your sacred spaces. You don't even have those anymore. I think it's yeah. it's an anger because the church still has not gotten to the place where it can call out the evil here. The evil here is the LGBTQ activists that are continually targeting and plaguing people of goodwill, just genuine goodwill, religious convictions, in this case, Catholics. We've been dealing with it for how many years now? Three years? We see our churches attacked and nothing's done about it. I mean, that's where this anger is coming from. If, if, if I, I could just that offer totally. a rebuttal. And I know that you're just trying to be that. the voice of reason, which I appreciate because I'm really angry about this. I'm really, really angry about this. And I think it's this is like God smiting people territory. Like they need to well, stop. Well, I mean, the thing is, we saw that the parish in Brooklyn that had invited that pop star and she did that scandalous right. video or whatever. Happened. They did fire that priest or you know, relocate him or however they demoted him or something like that. And so there was a there was punishment for it. And you know, this happened over the weekend. And so it's still just Monday and we will see, you know, it, it's possible that the archdiocese just wants to get all the information 
and figure out who approved what and, and go through a review of it. So if if there isn't any heads, quote, rolling just yet, like, let's wait another day or two and then see what happens. I mean, we have a we do want some accountability for it. I agree with that. This, that, that absolutely. Here's the interesting thing, though, is Father James Martin, who has spent the last several years scolding Catholics to be more welcoming of LGBTQ Catholics. Right. And yet. They're the ones who aren't showing charity or welcoming spirit. They come into our church and they mock us in our faces. So that whole experiment you have, James Martin, of trying to get Catholics to be nicer and compassionate and welcoming to LGBT Catholics, and then this is how we are treated? Yeah, no thank you. Actually, right. that's a bunch of garbage. And you can take that welcoming stuff and throw it outside the door <laughs> in the trash. Yeah. When the that was exactly my reaction when the the organizer of this event, who's another drag queen, uh, calls himself Cyan Dorishow, he walks across town and he gives the speech that Tom quoted. Like right after the event, he walks over the town and he's like, "We know the cathedral's going to play the stupid card, and maybe it's true. Like Josh, maybe the investigation the archdiocese is doing is like, you know, this was the church secretary. She took down her notes, pencil and paper, and just was like, oh, okay, we'll do this nice thing.' The they walked across town and they said, these people, he literally in his speech, they are so stupid at St. Patrick's. They still don't know. After that funeral service, they still don't know he was trans. We or she was trans is what they called her, him. I can't even talk anymore. But <laughs> but this middle finger at the church. And then we're we're the ones who are beat over the head with, you're so conservative, you're so hateful, you're so non-accepting, you're so exclusive. I, this the the total gaslighting. Right, or the Pope would say rigid, right? Or rigid, uh, right. right? Like Saint Patrick's is not allowed to host the traditional Latin Mass. That was that's a no-no. They have to go to this little donkey right, church yeah. over in Manhattan. Right. And meanwhile, this happens. It's it's totally understandable. It, isn't this the problem? The though, is that this this whoever this man dressed as a woman going across town and bragging about this saying that we're stupid we are stupid yeah, we are stupid stupid yeah, people right. would let this happen right. and the reason we're stupid is because people refuse to acknowledge the evil right in their face like the lgbq lgb whatever all the acronyms the entire movement is a mockery of god they use the mm -hmm. rainbow as their calling sign basically saying that god's covenant to us he's never going to kill us again in the way that he did in the flood they use that as their mantra they mm -hmm. call it pride it's the deadliest sin like everything about this movement is demonic. It makes people sad. It makes people die a spiritual death for sure. And then a physical death by all the things that are being done to people. And until we get some Catholic clergymen to actually say it as it is, we're just going to continue to get duped like this. Right. I mean, there's no, and the problem is, is because we have gays, we have people, pedophiles in our own church. Clearly this has already been revealed to the public at the Boston Globe investigation, the way that we've handled people like Rupnik. I mean, McCarrick. We are stupid. Rubnick McCarrick, yeah. we are stupid. We've been stupid until we continue, until there's actually someone that comes out and says it. I know there's been bishops who have, and I'm sure people are going to put it out in the comments, but like the problem is we are stupid and they're right. I think that's maybe what makes me most upset about this is the church as a whole is stupid on this kind of thing. Is there anything better to say? I mean, the, literally, I, it made us look so stupid. This whole thing, it just drives me crazy. We don't have stupid people in the church. Yeah, I think like I've I've been trying to come up with ways. I'm I'm supposed to give a a presentation at Yale this week about um, the pro life movement. Like, where why is it so hard to be pro life? And I had to realize like I need to revamp my entire pro life talk. Right, this isn't ten years ago. It's not twenty years ago. But we're at a point where, like you said, Josh, they are coming into our churches. They are they're. They're laughing in our face publicly. And I think one of the most frustrating things here, we were just talking about this before the show, um, finding a call to action because what they did at the cathedral here, did they break any laws? Not really. I mean, maybe fraud. We're like talking about like, is there any call to action that you can have with something uh. like this where we just opened the door and said, oh, sure, come on in. Like there's, there isn't even anything to do, right? Well, I suppose it's, they they got use of our cathedral under false pretenses. Yeah, you know they said that they were going to do a religious, you know, funeral service which would honor somebody who a Catholic who had died. Well, the person wasn't Catholic, and it wasn't a reverent honor, you know, service. It was done to mock the it was Catholic a political faith. So stunt, right. Maybe what we could do 
is have I don't know, gee, um, the FBI research this, uh, investigate this as a hate crime. That could be an idea. Oh, wait, no, I know they're too busy infiltrating Catholic churches. In fact, maybe there was an FBI agent in in the audience there at, at St. Patrick's <laughs> Cathedral. You never know. I mean, in which case, have... he would have said, "Oh, they're fine. <laughs> These guys are fine. Yeah. No danger here. Yeah, maybe they're <laughs> fabulous after all." Stop! I mean, stop! Stop! Is... Look at that picture right there. Stop, yeah. Nighthawk. Yeah. Stop they they mocked iconography of actual saints. Go back to this this atheist transvestite prostitute uh, prostitute, and then put her up like she's an actual saint in our own church. Like. Could you imagine, just stop for a second. I hate this because Demonic. it works every time. But like, could you imagine this being done in a mosque? That is an excellent if, point. If, if an imam saw the way people were dressed walking in his doors, he probably would have cracked the whip and kicked them out. I'm not kidding. But we have a, this priest, which you could say he's duped, whatever you want to say about him, making comments about how great it is to have the church filled with this garbage. I mean, no, we. this is just... It's like there's a certain part of the church that is just not serious about what it believes. And it's just so, this makes me so angry. Like any serious religion would have absolutely kicked everyone out of this place and said what they were doing was hateful, deceitful, and wrong and kicked them out. But we can't even get people in our own church to to, to be able to admit that this is wrong. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Got to highlight not, this great comment. And, you know, we're, we got the live chat going here on YouTube and Brian... Kradowski nailed it. He said, when Christ invited sinners to dinner, the sinners walk away changed. These people are trying to tend his dinner and change the teachings because the movement sees weakness in the church. They want to they're, change. They're correct. They want to change the church. They want to change Jesus. It's like, that's unbelievable. And I think the weakness, we talked about this uh, two weeks ago, I think, with Anthony Esselin's amazing article um, in Chronicle, but... The, the weakness is that we in our church, we, we have lost the total conviction that the Eucharist is Jesus Christ. Like, if you really believed that you're sitting up in the sanctuary 20 feet away from the tabernacle holding the living God, and this starts happening down in front of you, you can't just sit there anymore, right? We we have to recover this belief in the Eucharist that Jesus is real, that we are going to face our judgment at the end of our life, and that God's and to be infused with the hope that God gives us the grace we need to respond in the moment. And I think that for me, it was the tragedy of watching all these cathedral employees and security guards. I'm like, guys, do you realize what's happening? And the real the the reality was they didn't because. It was the moment. And I think Catholics have to prepare themselves for more and more of these moments to happen. Ask now, yourself, if you're listening and you're at Mass, what do you do if this happens at Mass with you? We saw it last Mother's Day, right, with the pro-choice protesters at, at Catholic Masses on Mother's Day. Yeah. And we told people, you have to think about what do you do? Protect your children. Do you have extra ushers? What do you, you have to prepare for this because it's going to happen more and more. Are you centered on Jesus? That's the real question. Yes, in fact, it exactly. reminds me of the fire at the Cathedral of Notre Dame in France mm. when that when it was going up, being engulfed in flames. Those firefighters, they're Catholics, and they ran in and they secured Jesus in the tabernacle, got him out, and it's then they got out. Then then they got out the crown of thorns because they, they have a little piece of the crown of thorns actually, and they took care of those relics, and that was their second priority. You know, yeah. and you're like, oh, look at this beautiful thing on, you know, artwork on the wall. It's like that was not, you know, G they had to take care of Jesus first. They were centered on him. Yeah. And that's the way when when tragedy strikes, whether natural cause, whether it's terrorism, which probably was, by the way, Paris, uh, or this, where they, they organized an uh, intentional effort to smear, you know, in, in our faces. Um, we need to be centered on Jesus in a response to um, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, maybe the first thing that priest should have done is, as you say, Erica, turn around, look at the tabernacle, get on your knees, pray, then stand up, turn around, grab the microphone and say, it's time for you to leave now. That would have been wonderful. Next time. France, we, you know, we trash on France a lot. I know Pogo loves to trash on France, but no. they passed their fire drill, literally. Like they literally passed yeah. the fire drill. We kind of flunked ours this time, guys. We totally yeah, I mean, it. 
this is because the only reason I'm able to do this is because <laughs> Lent. But uh, I genuinely like it's it's so hard for me to do. But like we need to offer our reparations for these kind of activities for these people. Um, I think the hard thing again is because if you're showing up uh, to desecrate in in on everything about you is a mockery of God, like how you've treated your own body and what you're doing in a sacred space. But like, again, it's not the people like the people have mm-hmm. made conversions and we need to offer reparation because what's done is evil. Um, but that being said, in which like I think I've said plenty of this, like that does not mean we need to lay over when God is being mocked. Amen. Right. So. Amen. This is not never acceptable under any context. Pray for the souls of these people. But hopefully this is a reminder that like we've moved into a new era and we have been in a new era for three plus years now, probably since COVID, where we have enemies at the gates. We have people that want to desecrate our sacred spaces, either through um, misdirection and trickery or by outright violence. I mean, we're over 300 plus churches that have been attacked now. Uh, We have like instigators trying to get into our sacred spaces and do things like this. Until we accept that's our reality, this kind of stuff is going to keep happening. But I just hope everyone listening, this is a we are in a new time. This is not 2000s again, where you're like, ah, people just want to love who they want to love, whatever. Like, call the enemy for what it is, and it's time to start battening the hatches because I never want to see something like this happen. Ever. Okay, but so let's compare one last time what happened at, with that fire at Notre Dame and what happened here. It was firefighters that ran in and took care mm-hmm. of business, and in this case, it was a weak priest who they had selected to help out with this or whatever. And he, and he failed at his mission. And so, you know, when we talk about the priesthood, um, I, I actually know two really good holy men who are married, who are Catholic priests. One came in from the Anglican thing. I think they both did actually. And I, I never think of the married priesthood as an answer to the sex abuse crisis. I think that's garbage. Okay. That's, that's a false, false answer. However, I, I do wonder if we should consider having some actual married men or, I don't know, any way we can get some blue-collar men like those firefighters into the priesthood. That would do us all some good, whether they're married or not, I guess, is my point. It, you know, we need more blue-collar priests who mm-hmm. understand, as actually Pope Francis says, the smell of the sheep. That's how you understand the smell of sheep. You have some people that have, you know, farmers, plumbers, truck drivers. They, if you have some of them as priests, then you start to go, "What are we doing here?" And you get that, you know, that kind of common sense, like, "Get the heck out of here! This is crazy!" You, you know, because they would think about their own mom and grandma, and like, "We would never go for this." Yeah, I was wondering. All that. I was wondering how it would have been different if the the priest who's the chaplain at Harmel Academy of the Trades out in uh, the Detroit area, yeah, the, the welder, priest? the welder priest, it, it, Grand, <laughs> it might Grand have gone Rapids. a little differently at St. Patrick's. Yeah. Grand, Grand Rapids. Rapids sorry about correct. that. Okay, okay, gotta get my Michigan cities. Yeah. Okay, um, but anyway, could have gone a little differently had the welder priest been uh, in St. Patrick's that day. Could you imagine? Yeah. That would have been a sight to see. <laughs> yeah, would have welded up the doors. Hopefully, never let anyone in. Um, but yeah, we have mailbag now, and this is kind of a cool opportunity for uh, people here in the chat. Hopefully, you guys can give some advice as well. But uh, this is one of my favorite write-ins we've had in a while. Uh, shout out to David Irwin. Uh, I'm going to read off the question here. Uh, so, Tom, let me start by saying the loop cast is such a breath of fresh air. In the midst of many trials and irregularities in the world, er- you, Erica, and Josh bring such clarity to the faithful. Keep us informed on so many important issues. I honestly would know nothing about the border crisis, the terrible books in our schools, and so many other issues if it weren't for y'all. Shout- so shout out Pogo, shout out Erica, shout out Mercer, shout out everyone at Catholic Vote. Thanks for the shout out. Appreciate it. Um, also, shout out Sue. who She submitted a question about EVs that re- received quite a bit of attention from y'all. Sue inspired me to do the same. So here we go. The question is, how can Catholics morally and adequately prepare for the large expense of raising a family. I'm primarily thinking about investing as a key means for saving uh, for education and retirement. Don't worry, Mercer, I won't be giving to a liberal institution. Aquinas seems to suggest that there's nothing inherently wrong with investing. I will need to find my source instead of follow-up. While other Catholics suggest that investing is inherently wrong, I've started a new job and I'm wondering if, if investing in a 401k is appropriate and if perhaps not, what is another adequate way to prepare for supporting a family? Uh, David Irwin, Loopcast enthusiast, gas-powered stove and vehicle apologist, avid EV <laughs> opponent, and and uh, most importantly, aspiring father. Shout out, David. Thank you for the writing. But yeah, we have some people who, 
who currently are building large families, uh, some further along the, the road than others. Uh, Josh, I think you probably get to start here. Although, Eric, I mean, you're literally in the process. I'm literally in the process. School. So I am going to defer to Josh while I gather my wits, which okay. may or may not <laughs> be possible. <laughs> well, I Josh. certainly don't think investing is is wrong in any way. I mean, I, I you know, that, that's not wrong. I mean, and the Catholic Church over time um, improved its understanding of what it means by investments. The idea behind investing something is that you take a surplus of your income right now and you invest it in something and they use that money, getting the money up front to be able to build a factory or do whatever they need to do. And then they reward you by giving you that money back, you know, at interest or whatever. That's the standard sort of loan. And the church was right to realize that loans, not all loans are usury. Now, I, I actually am a little bit more old, uh, slightly old school. I think I, I actually remember growing up when credit card companies were not allowed to charge more than 18 percent. And then that got changed. I actually think it might be someone in the Reagan administration. I don't remember what, but I am. I would. I oppose that. I think credit cards should never be higher than eighteen percent. I think anything above eighteen is usury. And so you get some credit cards with the twenty-six percent. I think that is actually immoral. I do. I would. I would favor restricting that. And I know that gets libertarians upset. But in yeah. terms of investing, investing is a good thing. Absolutely, hundred percent moral to to invest your surplus funds. And to do it, obviously, you know, you want to do it in a way where you balance the different things. Like if you're you're in a station in your life, let's say you're a grandparent, uh, you can invest it. You want to you want to invest it so that you know, maybe not wildly because you need that money for your retirement. But if you're younger, you might want to invest in a in a growth index where there's a greater opportunity to build that over time. Um, Ave Maria mutual funds. This is, we're not getting paid for this. No advertisement here. Although if they want to advertise, you know, give me a call. Come on, but they have. <laughs> We'll they have uh, they have mutual funds that intentionally uh, avoid companies that do a lot of evil uh, stuff. So you're not going to get like BlackRock something. or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean not just that. I mean obviously the more egregious ones like they're not going to involve invest in you know like Pornhub and and all that other kind of stuff, uh, abortion or or anything like that. And so um, and you can even if you have it, your thing with Fidelity or one of these bigger things, you can still have it invested in a mutual fund that Ave Maria controls. So you don't even have to have an account with them necessarily or whatever. So, Josh, that, that's definitely could, a good option. If I could ask you on a more personal level, though, as someone who you have a large family and if you were a young man, if you could go back, what were some things that were in your mind uh, preparing for that eventuality? Do you have any advice like looking in the rear view of like things that you thought helped you out or were successful? Yeah, actually, you know, I, I did an interview with Tim Cardi, and we're going to have it in a couple of weeks here. Uh, we're we're, we're going to save it a little bit. But we talked about this. I mean, and one of the things that, you know, Tim and I both, you know, we each have six kids. And a lot of people are like, how do you do it? You know, I mean, they just, it's mostly logistics, like literally trying to manage all these, you know, children and, and they're starving and they're running all <laughs> they're over. They're always the starving. <laughs> Uh, and then at night, you know, they all become dehydrated philosophers. And uh, <laughs> man, why is the sky, sky blue and kind I'm of thirsty. water? But on the on the nuts and bolts of it, in terms of the finances, yeah, I mean, it is it is difficult. I mean, obviously, as a man, I you know, we had a situation where I worked hard and and you know, building up Catholic vote. I mean, obviously, I'm glad that it's become very big today. But Brian and I were both family men, and we had to work very hard. And I had to take a second job for a while. And then my wife had to actually work outside the home for a little bit when the kids were a little bit older, just to make sure that we could do that, to, to make sure we could conquer our our, our debt and our bills. Um, it's not easy. And, you know, I still today, I'm, I'm very frugal, uh, practically Scottish. Yeah, I have two cars <laughs> that are 12 years old. Uh, and, I, and, and, we, and we sort of set expectations like, you know, I know we live in kind of a rich zip code and I'm like, I tell my kids, I said them from day one, like um, we, we are going to have vacations. We're going to do fun things, but we're not going to Disney World where I get to walk around in 110 degrees on the asphalt and drinking a nine dollar beer waiting in line for some stupid ride. We're not going to do that. I don't care if everyone in, in a, thinks that's the best thing in the world. You know, screw Disney. So part of it is that you just have to kind of recalibrate your adjustments in, in this culture. Like everyone's got to go to Florida. Everyone's got to do this for vacations. Like, no, no, we don't actually. Uh, and, and you can have a lot of fun and, you know, and raise a family, but it is tough. It does require sex. Like, well, it just kind of reminds me of like, just before, cause I really want to di dive into Erica. She's done a phenomenal job, but like, 
it just struck me that you uh, want to be very intentional with your finances and you view building a family as a noble use of your energy. So like when you say, oh, I'm not going to go to Disney World, it's like, well, that doesn't align with this intentional view of spending your money. Like I, I think my butt money would be better spent maybe like having another kid or being able to use it in a way to support family life, like um, do things to bring everyone closer, keep everyone closer, maybe uh, homeschool. Like that's a huge investment as well. Like I, or whatever school you want to send your kids to. Like it's just like uh, the oh, idea of keeping price. up with the Joneses doesn't have to be the standard yeah. for everyone. You know, you don't need the nicest car. You don't need the nicest vacations. It's like I'm choosing and to I, use it differently. And I my would... priorities are strongly encourage men interested in starting families to consider living in a state like Florida or Indiana or Arkansas. Now all these different States where you have school choice, you can homeschool them for sure. Mm -hmm. You can do that in all 50 States. Right. Obviously. Well, but if homeschooling, if homeschooling isn't for you, you know, then there is that option of using being in a state like Indiana or Arkansas or Florida, where you have universal school choice and you can direct your, tax dollars for education to the school of your choice. Uh, I think that's a game changer. Like that is humongous. And so I, I definitely think that's the possibility. But again, the, the biggest thing is 40, 50 years ago, you know, we, we had a lot of people that had families with five, six kids and we live, you know, we live closer to friends and relatives and all that kind of stuff. And you would hand on your clothing to other people. That's what we do in our town here. Like I, I all of a sudden, oh, we got a bag of clothes that doesn't fit our boys anymore. And I give it to the neighbor next door because they've got three boys, you know, and you pay it forward. I actually, mm -hmm. you know, it's not a lefty thing. I actually totally agree with that. Pay it forward. Yeah. Like, and then I, and my wife's like, oh my God, how are we going to do this? I go, you know what? If we are faithful, somehow the Lord will provide. That's not blind faith. You still got to work hard and you got to have your priorities on straight um, and be, you know, be smart about it. But yeah. if I had any advice to any 19 year old, I'd be like, credit cards are super <laughs> yeah. evil if you don't pay them back every month. Yeah. Yeah. I think Find like, a way. Let's hear from the queen. You. Let's yeah, hear from the queen, Erica. <laughs> She's about to, to increase the size of her family very I soon. Am. Erica, Here we what go would again. you say to this young man? Yeah, I would say, you know, if you're, if you're 19, 20, 21 and you're just starting off, I would definitely watch the debt. Um, you, you know, the, obviously if you're already in student loans, make it a priority to pay those down. Just the monthly drain on your ability to handle the, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that are multiplied with each child you welcome, um, are those, that ability to be flexible is so diminished by debt. So yeah, Dave Ramsey is right. Absolutely. Focus on paying down those student loans. My husband and I spent the first six years of marriage in graduate school, which I mean, Go, looking back, we're like, we advise our children, don't do it. Just not worth the PhD. <laughs> but <laughs> don't go there. But, um, you know, during that time, it, it, the good thing that it did was it forced us to confront the reality of, you know, a very, very lean budget together while we we're having three kids. Our first three children were born in grad school. And, um, yeah, I, you have to live. If you're going to have a counterculturally sized family, you're going to have to make countercultural choices. Like we don't do sports with our kids that are, you know, beyond Saturday morning soccer. Like they're not on travel teams and they're not at the gym learning to be the next, you know, gymnast wannabe. Um, so we find other ways to be healthy and stay fit. And the, the, the vacations is another thing, Josh, like, I think we've taken one family trip, like that was out of state to a destination. And we all stayed in a hotel. That was it in 20 years. And we still have a really good time. We have a good time. So yeah, making countercultural choices, I think get off the mommy blogs for the women out there. Oh like, just get word, off, yes. get off of Pinterest. Pinterest poisoning is real. And it's, it makes you envious and it encourages avarice and all of those things eat away uh, at your income every month. So yeah. Dave, Dave Ramsey, I resisted reading Dave Ramsey mostly because <laughs> my husband said I had to. And I'm like, no, I don't. But I did. Yes. And it was actually really helpful in terms of uh, readjusting. I think he's mostly, mostly right. Yeah, He's and mostly, before, mostly right, right. There's a few things. but Before yeah. I give uh, my... 26. So I just turned 26. Happy birthday mm -hmm. to me. Uh, my 26 year old <laughs> advice. There. Um, if you guys have, we have a lot of people in here. If you guys have good advice for them, you can put it in the YouTube chat right now. Um, even as we go out through the episode, if you think about it, throw it in there, that'd be a good one. Um, but yeah, I learned a lot from, from these two above me here in the, the YouTube sphere. But uh, the first thing that I would say is 
Um, if you want to do something different, as you guys were saying, you have to live counterculturally. And so I would just throw out this um, idea that you deserve or you're entitled to anything out the door. Um, I think that many people feel kind of entitled. Oh, first off, what up to my mom? She said, yeah, hey, said hi in the chat. Uh, what's up, mom? Um, I was just talking to them about this actually over the weekend. I got to hang out with them, which was awesome. But um, yeah, this this idea that you're entitled to anything or you deserve anything is really dangerous because that's how you kind of creep up your yeah. finances. So knowing that you want to do something different, I would just throw out everything you think you're entitled to out the window and then look very tactically about like, all right, you know, I want to make these choices. How do I make that happen? I think the general idea of credit cards, I'm actually not fully against credit cards for cybersecurity reasons. So for cybersecurity reasons, yes, just if you use them, pay them off. You should never be in credit card Every month, ever. pay them off. Yes. Um, practical things like you shouldn't be leasing or buying new cars, especially at a young age. Um, oh, amen. It, it's just amen. a total money pit. Um, the best, the play is to find a car on like the side of the road or Facebook marketplace and just buy a used car. Um, I've always played that model. My dad did that for years and years and years and years. We're thankful for it. So um, stay out of that kind of debt. It can just sap you up. And then I've always said personally, like it's good to be um, entrepreneurial and work hard. Um, but when you your income increases, your lifestyle should not increase to match that. If anything, the idea is to live below your means. So say you get a raise. Sure, maybe you can buy like one nice thing, but the rest of that money should really just go towards savings and then you can invest that. And then um, you never get used to that lifestyle creep that really gets people. And I, I live in an area, full disclosure, um, where people make a lot of money. So mm -hmm. I see a lot of very nice cars. Uh, I see a lot of uh, nice discretionary houses. spending happening, nice houses. <laughs> and um, the really sad reality of it is I think people get trapped in that lifestyle and get used to, or their wife does, or their kids it do. It's and a so trap. you get to a place right. where you're like, you feel like there's no way out. You know, how could you possibly be making 150000 $200,000 a year and still feel like you're living paycheck to paycheck? And it's like, it's that lifestyle creep that really gets you. So um, yeah, and then I, I, this is just a personal, but like you should always have a side hustle of some kind. Um, I came from a, once again, a very like entrepreneur. I'm a bootlegger. Family. No, just kidding. Okay. I don't bootleg anything. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like there's so many ways to make money, um, on the side and you can make them enjoyable as well. Like throughout my life, I've always just kind of picked up odd jobs here and there and, um, benefited from it. So I really do admire this guy, David though, um, to say that he has this desire for a big family, I think is a really noble calling something that anyone that gets married to the Catholic church is actually is a part of the plan, right? It's like being open to life. Um, and I hope that you're blessed with a beautiful marriage and many kids and uh, it's possible. Well, it's doable and you can be very happy. In your case, Tom, your side hustle is like your hobby because you like photography and then you and your wife, you know, do wedding, uh, uh, photograph weddings. So it's like a nice thing where you can, it's different from your regular work in a sense. It's it gives you that opportunity to have a hobby that can be, you know, mm -hmm. fulfilling and then help, help pay for, you know, the rent or whatever. And so, yeah, that's, I mean, my side hustle is, you know, helping my wife run a Catholic bookstore. So yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, and there's no, that's, it's just always a good thing to be doing. And you get to work with your wife. I always, if you get the chance, if you marry your wife, you kind of like her usually. So I really <laughs> like working with my wife. Uh, she's a phenomenal boss. Sometimes she, you know, gives me a hard time, but you know, I try to keep the boss happy when I can. And um, she's super, super talented Actually, and hardworking. So funny I'm proud. you say that though because i said someone said to me one time she's like so wait what's going on here you know you know you're doing the catholic food stuff remote and then you you know the the bookstore with your, with your wife i'm like yeah I, I literally had i spend like 23 hours a day with my wife and he's like <laughs> oh man i could i could never do that and, and that person's uh now he's divorced <laughs> oh, <laughs> like yeah i guy. guess no dang yeah um, so yeah, you love the people, you know, in your family, hopefully that's Crazy a non-starter, non-starter. Uh, but we gotta, we gotta touch on this real quick. Um, and we've had some people kind of email us in about geopolitical happenings, but we just, uh, witnessed, uh, the death of Alexei, uh, Navalny, Navalny. Uh, he was, Navalny. He was mm -hmm. the opposition leader in Russia. He just died in prison. They're not really giving a whole lot of information as to how, um, <laughs> which, unfortunately is the reality of what goes on in russia uh really really interesting man and figure had a very popular youtube channel uh and garnered i think up to like 27 percent of a vote which is kind of crazy in a place known for not having very fair and se secure elections 
Um, but th- this is kind of a bomb that dropped in, and it's being used in a lot of different ways. I thought it'd be worth us touching on here. Erica, I know that you did the research on this one. What's going on with um, Alexi? Yeah, so Alexei Navalny, right, <laughs> they they reported this last week uh, from the Russian prison. The Russian prison service reported Navalny had died. He was only 47 years old, so not much older than, than me and Josh here. Um, and the final diagnosis was sudden death syndrome. And that is just Russian for he was probably executed in prison. Yeah. So <laughs> he was the, as you mentioned, Tom, he's the opposition council uh, coordinator for the opposition party to Putin. And he came, you know, almost 30% of the vote last time there was an election in Russia. This is another election year uh, for Putin. We kind of know how it's going to go. Um, but the, the, the man's story is is fascinating, and I have to do another shout out to the free press over there. They actually got a hold of some of his letters from prison, just and these are recent. They're just from the last twelve months. Um, some of his letters, you know, talking about what it's like there, um, why he's there, and clearly he's a man of faith. I mean, he quotes scriptures. He makes a, a comment that there's no better place to celebrate Holy Week. This was last Holy Week, so a year ago. No better place to celebrate Holy Week than in the penitentiary cells of the Gulag, where, I mean, we know that these men are kept in sub-zero temperatures. They are given starvation rations, denied medical care. Um, So if he didn't die directly by poisoning, it's most likely he died of exposure. Um, Which would have been the second time. Which would have been the second time. Yeah, back in 2020. Yeah, after he came so close to getting to Putin, I mean 30%, but for Russians, it's close. uh, He was actually poisoned on an airplane. He was given a Soviet-era nerve agent. I think it's called Novichok. And he went into a seizure. They actually allowed him out on parole to go to Berlin for treatment. Um, He knew if he returned to Russia after this treatment that he would be probably sent straight to the gulag. And but he he chose to go back. And in the letters, uh, he talks a little bit about, you, you know, he's he is for the Russian people. He wasn't going to run away. He wasn't going to stay out in exile. But he returned to Russia to be a voice for his people. And sure enough, he was arrested at the airport immediately. Uh, yeah. immediately. Eventually, last August, he was sentenced to 19 years in prison on charges of extremism He was barred from running for office again. Obviously, his businesses were all shut down. He was uh, was accused of being an extremist, embezzlement, fraud, contempt of court. I mean, does it sound a little familiar? I don't want to get all like QAnon here, but I don't know. Sorry. I know I had to pull that one out. (laughs) But Uh, um, yeah, a really interesting thinker and uh, just a real hero for the Russian people. And I love this quote from the letters. He's talking about the the two systems. He'd written to a man who was in who who is in exile, and he had been imprisoned in the gulag under the Soviet Union. And Navalny wrote to him. He said, "The similarity between the two systems, the Soviet Union and Putin's Russia, their ideological resemblance, the hypocrisy that serves as the very basis of their essence, and the continuity from the former to the latter." All this guarantees an equally inevitable collapse. So the man died full of hope for his country. And um, I think, you know, some Solzhenitsyn vibes going on there, a little bit of Dostoevsky. But, you know, honor to him. We pray for the repose of his soul. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is like, see, this proves that we need to send billions of dollars to Ukraine because Putin assassinates his political opponents. And I'm sure... Pogo has some thoughts on that. Yeah, so apparently someone's drilling right now, which is insane. Um, so if you hear drills in the background of fracking, yeah, we're we're uh, we're moving to a top secret location. We're actually moving to a new office, which is exciting. I'll have a studio in there, so I won't hear drilling in the background. But we had someone email in, and I get this from time to time, and I see this basically in the discourse on Ukraine in general. People were upset at us for not being more pro-Ukraine, I guess, and. I think this, uh, hopefully I can point this out as like a false choice. Like there's the false choice of Ukraine is because you're not in favor of sending the over the annual budget allotment for the U S Marines to Ukraine for some reason, um, makes you pro Putin, which it doesn't. Uh, I think that's really ridiculous. If anything, what we saw in the Tucker interview and we talked about, we kind of thoroughly like made fun of Putin a little bit because 
his revisionist history on what happened in Russia was ridiculous. And he would not answer Tucker's question about um, why they invaded Crimea to begin with. R Putin's ex-KGB, this is their playbook. They take out their political enemies. And he's a thug. Mm -hmm. He's a thug. I, like, but all that being true does not mean we should send over the annual budget for the Marines to Ukraine. Even if that means 60 some percent of that is going to come back to the United States in manufacturing weapons for Lockheed Martin and General Dynamics and all those people. That's the current argument is that it's going to somehow it's an investment because it's going to benefit Americans. Hmm. My problem is if we cared enough as a country about Ukraine, uh, we would have boots on the ground over there and we'd be using the U.S. military to combat Russia in that way. We clearly do not believe that. So our current strategy is, well, let's just keep pouring money and basically throwing Ukrainians as cannon fodder against the Russians in a war that there's no way that they can win. So to me, it's like until we well, can find a way to negotiate a serious peace treaty, uh, an agreement in which it would stop leading to the death, funneling money over there for uh, like police pensions, like really bizarre earmarks for that in a way that like somehow is a win for the U.S. makes no sense to me. It will just not make sense to me. It never will. That's all, that's my piece on it. Yeah, and I mean, Putin is a thug. I mean, you know, it's like we're not pro-Putin just because we're not so sure we should give this much aid to Ukraine. And there's never really been, as I've said before, never really been an explanation for us why, you know, we're doing this. Why are we so involved? And so we deserve a better explanation. Um, but, it, you know, Putin is a thug. He does want to re reunite the old band, get the old band back together, uh, reunite all these former satellite uh, things into a greater new Russian empire. And I just wonder what's going to happen. I mean, you know, this, this opposition leader was obviously killed. I mean, it would, I, I would take a preponderance of evidence for me to think it was anyone other than Putin who was responsible for yeah, this. Right. Right. It's obvious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, you know, you just wonder like, when is mother Russia going to ever get its act together? Is it going to just require this KGB guy to die? You know, is Putin just going to literally have to die before we start seeing a little bit more meaningful, you know, pro-democratic reforms out of this autocratic regime? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, Russia has got a, a world full of problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. They have a demographic problem. Their economy is still kind of sputtering. Um, they never really adopted a real good market. They still have all these, you know, families. It's like an oligarchy that are running the stuff behind the scenes. And Putin does have an iron fist on a lot of things just because they're not centrally planned economy. Like the communists were during the Soviet era. doesn't mean that they're not still have a world of problems, uh, with Putin, you know, exercising an iron fist, uh, and squeezing people out, throwing journalists in jail. You know, Tucker goes there and says, can you let this journalist out of jail? It'd be a great, like, you know, Tucker was hoping it'd be this great effort. He could show, hey, you know, Putin's not as horrible as you think he is. I mean, we can he, talk to Tucker him. Didn't, right. Tucker didn't say it that way, but I think that's what he was hoping. Yeah. And Putin's like, hey, how about that? Not only will I not do that, I'll kill my opposition leader. Yeah. And <laughs> the it's just timing like, was we, precious. We, oh, my gosh. We laugh because it's absurd, not because, of course, we prove. Right. right. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, he's a bad guy. So, yeah. And, and again, like, the the trains in Russia uh, are the subway stations are immaculate and it is wild that it stayed immaculate for 70 years. That's something to think about in its own. That doesn't mean that people are pro Putin all of a sudden. Although I did think that the Tucker, the videos he's been releasing of like him going to the grocery store was pretty hilarious. Like they had the, uh, the Aldi shopping carts where you put in a coin and it'll release and then you take your coin at the end and it looked like Tucker, Tucker's mind was blown. He's like, like Dude, I they, can't believe this. They're like, they must have not that. have all that Michigan yeah. too, brother. Yeah, right. <laughs> we, we've got that here in the U.S. <laughs> he even said when he went into the McDonald's, the McDonald's one was so funny because he's like, I'm going to be real. I haven't gone to a McDonald's in probably 30 years. <laughs> and then he like, let's try it out. Oh, these are delicious fries. It's Russia. And you're like, come on. I don't know, Tucker. I think he, I think he kind of like overshot, misshot, misfired. It, it was, and right. nobody took it there. It was just not good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Tucker, I love right you, man. That, but... Tucker's right that in the United States, we've done stupid things, with architecture, like, you know, Penn yes, Station correct. in New York City used to be gorgeous and, and, you know, it looks like crap now. And then Russia's subway system looks great. But that 
like, dude, they got one thing right and we got one thing yeah, dead wrong. Okay. Yeah. But let's not, you know, confuse these two countries. Like we've we've been doing well, like the points my, on the board okay. here. Come on. And the man. other thing I wanted to point out to you is that all of those beautiful like architecture moments that Tucker's pointing out, those were built before for the brutalism era anywhere in the world and they've just restored them better that's not that they don't have brutalist terrible architecture in russia so like it, yeah it, again i think it was a little bit of a misfire although i i could just watch tucker all day like the guy it's like watching a six-year-old like look at this french fry oh my god oh, look you have a shopping cart i mean yeah it was kind but of in the best way because he's in his sincerity is infection says the yeah, sincerity yeah. of a child which is face. actually like, awesome you just gotta love him yeah <laughs> all right so we gotta keep it rolling in the twilight right. zone and my twilight zone might be they're drilling right above me. I don't like they could not have chosen a worse time in the day. Hey, right I could go me. first. Noon on Monday. You want me to go first? Oh, I got to sneak my in, mine in, I guess. I got to get okay, in. Okay, before, before the drilling gets worse. Before, before they get through the ceiling, you got to so, go. So, um, Brian, uh, president of Catholic Boat, shared this article. It's called The Seriousness of Humor. I mean, just phenomenal um, from Father Paul D. Scalia with the Catholic thing. But like we were even, we even think with the show, like we joke around a lot. We like to have uh, some laughs and some people interpret that as like, we lack a certain seriousness that is necessary of Catholics or we're being mean spirited or something like that. And uh, this word of mirth uh, came up for those not familiar with mirth. Uh, I wasn't before. Um, it's actually described as a virtue by St. Thomas Aquinas. And I'm trying to find the, do we have the definition here, Nighthawk? I don't know if you could highlight it if you see it come up, but I could just hit a Google real quick too. Basically, it's um, points to the importance of humor and levity in the life of faith. Uh, again, this doesn't mean being flippant or trivializing things or treating the sacred with disrespect, nor does it mean the kind of humor that gets laughs at someone else's expense. It's rather the ability to laugh at the incongruity of things, at the ridiculousness of human affairs, and even at ourselves. So I was like, that is kind of the twilight zone summed up in a way. It's like, we are just pointing out the ridiculousness of some of the things that we're seeing. And it actually, um, in this article, we talked about how necessary that is because of the, the marathon of life that we have to go through. If you can't go through it with a little bit of humor and a little bit of levity, it actually makes you really brittle or, mm -hmm. or sorry, well, brittle, I guess, but bitter uh, for sure. Yeah. And the article, the best part I had was about people with no sense of humor. Yeah, the crowd have no humor. Proud. People that are proud have no sense of humor uh, because they're unable to laugh at themselves and they lack a certain humility. Um, so let's see. It's like when, and, and Catholics are susceptible to that problem too because, you know, you get some Catholics who are like, the, the, the one bumper sticker, the one left-wing bumper sticker that always made me the most angry. <laughs> Which be like, one? If you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. I just want- Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, I, I just want to flatten their bumper when I see that. It's just like so <laughs> ridiculous. It's so obnoxious, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. you should be just as outraged as I am at climate change or whatever. Like, and if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. You know, it's like, um, or maybe uh, you're wrong, number one. And number two, even if I agreed with you on something, like maybe just shut up a little bit and stop lighting up, Francis. Don't take yeah. yourself so seriously, you know? Wait, go back, go back to, well, I have it here. Uh, the proud quote is the proud have no humor. They snicker and sneer. They make fun of people or ridicule things, but that's cruelty, not humor. The proud lack a sense of proportion that makes Wait, a sense of talk humor host. possible. Yeah. They consider Colbert. themselves greater than they are and see themselves as the center of everything. This also makes them boring. The proud <laughs> exalts that. themselves and trivialize the Lord. And for that reason, they will be humbled, which won't be funny. I mean, that was just a bar. That was awesome. That was My so goodness. good. And, you know, I was thinking about this a lot because, I mean, we went, like you were mentioning at the beginning of the show, we went on to the weekend with this terrible, you know, travesty at St. Patrick's Cathedral and I was feeling the outrage and I have to admit that bumper sticker Josh came to my mind <laughs> I'm like I am paying attention I am outraged all the time. and then you know about halfway through Saturday morning I'm like I can't just walk around outraged all the time one and I think the pride starts to creep in where I feel like I can do something about this. I can fix this problem. And just like being outraged is somehow me fixing the problem. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta come off down that, uh, down off that horse and say, you know, yes, terrible things are happening in this world all the time. And it is not always 
it is our responsibility to bring them to the foot of the cross and then really believe that like we're going to work as hard as we can to end these moral outrages but in the end um we're it's in the lord's hands and that gives us the freedom to enjoy the rest of life and to enjoy the other part of reality which is there's a lot of good in the world and there's fun there's there's wonderful things happening yeah we're not puritans and that's right we have a sense of humor. Oh, yeah. And uh, got yeah. to end on that one. Good call, Nighthawk. St. Thomas considers the lack of mirth a vice. He observes that the man without mirth is burdensome to others. <laughs> In her characteristically winsome manner, St. Teresa of Avila prayed, Lord, deliver me from the sour-faced saints. Mm-hmm. Oh, and mirth okay, is the fruit of trust. That's a right? She's great. <laughs> She's and, awesome. And mirth allows you to laugh when people are yeah. drilling above your head during a live show. That you hold on <laughs> That's right. Nowadays. So we I'm all laughing. need to be mirthers. That's what we need. <laughs> Murther. All right, Erica, yeah. we run into your twad zone now. Well, let's just talk about the absurdity of life a little bit here. This, uh, this, this is again deadly serious, but at the same time, you have to laugh at this. So, Mayor Brandon Johnson, um, the mayor of Chicago, and we talked about him and his like, oh my gosh, there's so many illegal immigrants here. Like the Biden is stopped, but he decided to call a press conference. And he, um, he's going to cancel ShotSpotter. You may have heard of this technology. It's used by police and EMS services to pinpoint the location of gunfire in high crime areas of the city so they can respond faster, catch the perpetrators, and treat the victims quickly. It is life-saving. It, uh, it stops crime before it happens because it's, it's a great deterrent when um, thugs know that the police have this tool. And so Shot Spotter in Chicago was deemed, however, by the elites among us to be racist. And it's disadvantageous to the, you know, the minorities and all that. So Mayor Johnson says, you know, Chicago is a welcoming city. We're going to focus on prevention, uh, you know, and services to our minorities. And we're going to get rid of Shot Spotter. Um, yeah, so <laughs> you couldn't even, I love this, this is from Jeffrey Blehar over at National Review. He goes, he lives in Chicago. You couldn't even credit Johnson for having the courage of his convictions, however benighted, because he also announced he was actually renewing Shot Spotter's contract just for six months to get the city through the summer months and the Democratic National Convention before canceling it on principle in September to end racism. And so again, this was just, this is typical progressive double think where you're like, I know it works and saves lives, but I'm going to cancel it. But not until after the convention, when all of the rich white people will come to the city and need protection. Well, this is like the problem was, no, it gets better. Oh, it gets no. better. Oh, oh, the problem was here's the twilight zone. He forgot to actually talk to shot spotter and get their signature on a contract through September before he called the presser. So right after the press conference, ShotSpotter gets out on social media and is like, no dice. We are going to cancel everything, all services from ShotSpotter on Friday night. Midnight, it ends. No more help for the police. No more help for your ambulances. So then it turned into this huge like wrangling between the city of Chicago and ShotSpotter. And just before midnight on Friday, they reached an agreement to keep ShotSpotter on through September. But I, you can bet Chicago paid through the nose for Mayor Johnson's self-righteousness. The local ABC station reported, the extension came as a relief to the chairman of the city council's public safety committee. Because <laughs> he's like, oh, good. There will be 50% less murder. This reminds me of, uh, remember, remember uh, Gavin Newsom cleaning up the streets of San Francisco for China? <laughs> Yes, like it's so similar. It was- <laughs> yes, overnight it was safe. There were no vagrants. There was. Oh my gosh! Man. It was yeah. overnight. Wow, it broke my brain. Magic broke my brain. Yeah, Josh, you have a Schoolhouse Rock uh, reference for a commercial Schoolhouse <laughs> yeah. Rock for this. What just happened? Right. Oh boy! I mean, we know we know the answer here. I mean, come on, this is great. All right, Josh, uh, Erica, that was I. I don't even know if really how could we even dig into that deeper it like, just, it just kept so... going i'm gonna check back in in september on shot spotter i'll let you know the update please do mm-hmm. uh josh your so i'm gonna i'm gonna keep with the mirth kind of thing going mm-hmm. here 
Uh, Kelly Wong came to the United States in 2019 from China. She is not yet legally able to vote, but San Francisco in its uh, infinite wisdom has decided to place her in charge of overseeing and creating policy for the San Francisco Department of Elections. So the person in charge of the, the Department of Elections <laughs> is not a U.S. citizen, but a Chinese national. Um, I mean, this is... <laughs> I it just I don't know. I guess I got a hot take. Like maybe not have a Chinese national in charge of your elections. <laughs> you know, maybe just just maybe. And this is what I'm getting. Like you guys, this is very serious. Why are you laughing at this? This is honestly the only recourse you really have. You have to mock these people. These people are insane. They are right. idiots. Like we are so beyond are rational argument. Doing? Like this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like like you can imagine Shanghai saying, "Yeah, Mercer." You know, you you're a, a U.S. national. Why don't you come wait, and win wait. our elections? Play like, the video. No play way. the video. Play the yeah, video. Yeah, play the roll the tape. Oh, there's no sound. She gave a victory speech in Chinese. Yeah. Good job, San Francisco. Well, hey, at least they passed a resolution against Israel, right? They're really taking care of care business out you there know, in San Francisco. In German, they have the word Schuldenfraud, which is a, a, a term they came up with when you laugh at someone else's misery. And I too mm. often I'm a bad Catholic and I do that. I wonder if there's a, a word in Mandarin where you, you know, like you stupid white guys yeah. who <laughs> <Stupid> <laughs> let us take over your country. <laughs> like, yeah. There's got to be a word. Oh, brother. Jeez. Uh, well, yeah, I think that about uh, does it for <laughs> for the country, maybe. <laughs> um, sure. But definitely for, for this episode. Uh, guys, subscribe. Join us every Monday, noon Eastern time for these live shows. They're a ton of fun. If you want to help us out, you can like, share this episode, subscribe. Uh, you can find us anywhere podcasts are heard, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. We appreciate those. If you want to send another mailbag, first off, shout out to David. He's a Chad. Uh, Loopcast at CatholicVote.org. You can send in mailbag questions so we can answer them. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, we're praying for you. I had Have a lot of like fun comments again today, Good Tom. Time. Did you see oh, yeah. Josh good. Josh was in the comment section fighting as usual. Um, also, if you guys want to join us, Josh and I are making a consecration to St. Joseph uh, for the Loopcast. Uh, we are doing that every Friday. So uh, keep an eye out for those and join us. I just You can't pray to St. Joseph enough. I thought that was a lot of fun. A little mm. bit of a different content for us. And uh, yeah, it's about does it. Uh, St. Thomas More, St. Fidelis. And Our Lady Guadalupe, pray for us. And we, we will see you guys on the next episode. Peace.